So Acts 17, and we're going to start at verse 16. Um, I know it's a slightly different passage to the one on the program, but um, it gives us something to think about a bit differently. Uh, do we have any John Bon Jovi fans in? Okay. Uh, we're going to, if you're willing, just sing a little bit of his classic song, Shot to the Heart. Uh, the words will be on the screen. Um, hopefully we'll make it nice and loud, actually, as well. Have you got good volume on your thingy? Um, the idea is, is that, that we as Christians are meant to be people who share good news uh, of love uh, and God. And I think sometimes we give love a bad name. Um, and that also uh, one of the challenges is we're going to talk today about the idea of our hearts and, and being wholehearted. Um, I've done a lot of services thinking about how do we do evangelism. But I've been challenged this week that it's not so much about the how, but the who we are. Because um, I could teach you what you could go and say, but actually I think what's most attractive and what most helps people see is if God's just fully there in all of us. So um, if you're willing, I know it's a hot day today, um, we're going to just sing a little bit of this. The words will be on the screen, hopefully it'll be nice and loud. You're in good voice this morning. Uh, let's try this, Dan. Oh, well done! Um, I don't know though, that, that thing about you promise heaven but give me hell, sometimes I think when I see people doing evangelism online or in the street in Oxford, I think, oh my goodness, you're giving love a bad name. Like as Christians, we talk about the grace of God, this God who loves us so much that he's willing to forgive us, and yet it feels like we put chains on people that they can't bear sometimes. It feels like putting them in a prison. It feels like we're just playing a part sometimes, you know, we say one thing on a Sunday, do something on another. There's, who knew Bon Jovi? could be so profound about evangelism in the church. Um, I guess the challenge and the bit I want to focus on just briefly today, because I know it's hot, is this idea of playing a part, playing a part. And I want to challenge us about um, the sort of hearts we need when it comes to, to loving God. And before I start that, can I just briefly tell you what I think the good news of God is, right? And um, some of you may not have heard it for a while, and some of you uh, may be really sort of... Um, kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You sympathize and empathize with Simon, that sense of being in a, a kind of a just tumultuous, tiring time. And, and for me at the moment, when I think about culture and the world, where I go to to begin the gospel, not the whole gospel to begin it, would be Eden, the very first story in the Bible. So there's this world that's in chaos and darkness and God comes and he brings order, right? And he gathers people in his garden. He says, you're my people and I love you. And he makes this place that's full of rest and, and balance and relationships with him and with each other, which is good. And, and people aren't working in a way that's just so tiring that they're just lurching from one sleep to one sleep. There's, there's a refreshingness about it. And, and people are able to be creative. They name the animals. And some of us feel like actually in life there's no opportunity to be creative anymore. And, and God says true, true happiness and peace is by following me. Don't do this one thing. Don't ignore me. Don't take the crown for yourself and stay with me. Live close to me and you will enjoy life and the peace of God forever and you will never die. And the good news is, is to say that story still stands, that God has come to still his garden, that he still loves you, that he still makes you. He still wants you to live a life where he is king and where he has sent a rescuer to, to, to rescue you back from an usurper king that came and captured you away from him. And I want to encourage you, some of you who have been striving and striving and striving and striving and thinking, I've got to be better for God. I've got to be good and good and good. And I found it tiring. God says, no, I love you. My son was perfect for you. 
come and take his life and, 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 and just take that into to every part of you. But don't do it in a little way. Some of us have come to faith and become disillusioned, and I think often it's because we're not wholehearted. Have any of you ever done like an exercise regime where you've had like a diet and the exercise? Any, any of you? Some of you are going, well, no, why would I do that? Um, I'm really good at bits of it. And yet I always complain to anyone who's helping me, why aren't I losing weight? Why aren't I fitter? And they're going, what, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm eating all, everything you said, but I did have some donuts. And I'm doing all the exercise you said, except that I sort of did half the weights that you recommended because I'm tired. And actually this one day, I didn't really feel like it. So I paid one of my children to do it for me. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess some of us are dipping our feet in the Christian faith. But I want to encourage you uh, to go wholehearted today. Um, We're going to read just God's word. I'm going to be fairly brief today because it is hot. Um, But um, we're going to just look at four really brief ideas. But if you've got a Bible, just Acts 17. Uh, verse 16 we're going to talk about this Um, just to let you know if you've not done church stuff before Paul uh, was a follower of Jesus he'd become wholehearted he'd gone from persecuting the church killing Christians uh, to being wholeheartedly just willing to love God he's currently in Athens in Greece same Athens as today Um, but um, it's a a place where people aren't really doing God uh, in the way that 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 he has sort of been growing up with Um, and so he, he talks them about God, and he does it in a really clever, interesting way. Um, but let's just have a quick read of this. Um, so Acts 17, uh, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, those are two schools of thought, began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus. This is like a a kind of a formal debate um, kind of court uh, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. I love this line. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. It's as if this is like the worst travel guide recommendation ever. Paul then stood up at the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. He's quoting there. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. 
but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Now, I'm going to do a very brief um, kind of job today, uh, just looking at this. Um, But I want to say this is, for me, one of the most genius ways of sharing faith ever. Um, Because um, Paul speaks to them in a language they understand, in, in a place that they knew, and in a way that really helped them. And one of our challenges as church, especially in our culture now, is I feel like we've got lost in translation. And we need to grapple with culture. And yet, we'll talk about how Paul does it. Because when it comes to sharing faith, I think he's hugely, hugely effective. Um, just really quickly, um, there were two groups mentioned. The Epicureans um, and the Stoics. Um, they also have got given a bad name, right? So in philosophy, Epicureans now, everyone sees them as the party animal hedonists. Often they're, they're sort of portrayed as people who are just like, yeah, let's get naked and drink. That's literally the way. That, that's not true. Epicureans were people that said the purpose of life is happiness, and happiness is found through the senses. But they also did not think that anything you did that left a hangover or a bad taste in your mouth or broken relationships was a good thing. They weren't hedonists. They, in fact, what they did was they retreated into a garden and lived a very simple life where they ate a lot of rice, true story. Uh, they, they, they taught a simple life. And the idea was to be as simple and as sort of thoughtful as possible, minimizing um, pain uh, and avoiding things that cause pain. That's what they did. They said that's what life's about, just simply the simple life. Some of you are going, who knew it? I'm an Epicurean. The Stoics, on the other hand, said, no, it's not just about personal happiness. It's not just about withdrawing to a garden. You need to um, actually engage with the world a bit more. That's where true happiness comes from. And they loved virtue and duty. And so for them, it was like, you've got to serve other people. They got really involved in politics. They, they met in the marketplace. Uh, they were people who said, no, true happiness comes. Hard work, good decisions. Some of you are going, who knew? I'm a Stoic. They're often, it's a very, some of you are going, that's not all they believed. That's not all they believed. It's very simple, but um, caricatures. Right, so um, pleasure versus virtue, gardens versus marketplace. That's the kind of two schools of thought. But Paul does something really, really clever. Let's go to this and um, go one more. Um, I want to say this, that Paul, when he comes to Athens, when it comes to sharing faith, uh, has these four things. He's wholehearted. I'll talk about that really briefly. He's brokenhearted. He's open-hearted. And then he's lion-hearted, right? And when it comes to faith, I'm going to ask you to do these things. Um, if you're here and you're not someone who would um, kind of call yourself a believer yet, we're thrilled you're here. Uh, my prayer today would be that you'd be open-hearted to a God who says that he loves you, that he knows what life is for, uh, and that, that with him uh, you will find uh, uh, an eternity of joy and purpose. And I want to say this. For those of you who haven't done it yet, I, I truly believe you're missing out. For all the way I mislive my faith, God has been the constant in a storm of life. And I want to encourage you guys, you know, whatever it is that's holding you back, take that seriously. Move it out of the way uh, and come to a God who calls you. But really quickly, wholehearted. Um, can you have a quick look, work together? I'm going to keep you awake. Where does Paul go to talk about faith in the first couple of verses? Where does he go? Okay, have a little chat together. Uh, if you don't like chatting, just look at it yourself. Where does he go uh, when it comes to sharing faith?
Okay, I'm gonna keep us moving today. Uh, so, where does he go? Where does he go? Where does he go? Where the people were. Where the people were. Synagogues and marketplace. Yeah, no division. Right? He goes both to where the believers are to reason with them, uh, but he also goes to the marketplace to chat with the philosophers. Uh, how often does he does it? Does, does he do it? Day by day. Right? My first challenge, simply put, is um, for us to speak about God, our world rightly knows what hypocrites look like. They're quick to call it out. And rightly, they're quick to say, you've got nothing of value for me. We, we live in a world full of people who wear masks. And so my first challenge is, for Paul, there's no difference. When he's here or there day by day, his faith is being lived out. I, I want to challenge us about that. He's wholehearted in what it means to follow God. Does that make sense? you kind of with me? And I'm not saying that to make you feel burdened. I know some of you will. I want to challenge us gently, though, to say what God calls from you is everything. The most dangerous place I think any of us can be is to say, yeah, I'm following God a bit. It's dangerous for two reasons. Following God is not what you do. God follows you with a jealous love. Christianity is walking with a God who follows you wherever you go. The minute you start thinking, I'm following God a bit, it becomes about what I'm doing. And Christianity is all about what God has done. That God will run to you wherever you are and rescue you. And walk with you and love you and transform you. And, and yet we can say to him, not yet, God, I'm busy. And not yet, God, I'm tired. And not yet, God, I'll do it later. But God calls for everything. Wholehearted. Wholehearted. Love the God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything. And I want to challenge you. If you're someone who says today, yeah, do you know what? I am a bit half-hearted. Just come back to a God who says, I love you with my whole heart. And that never changes. Like, take it seriously, though. And take it seriously because I think the world rightly will look at half-hearted Christians and say, why would I want that? Does that make sense? Wholehearted devotion. Like, like is this such a challenge? It's not something we muster up. And I, 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 You know when you're like, um, and this is not about anyone in my family. Just, You know when you're a teenager and you're dating? It's not about you. Relax. It's not, it's not. It, it might sound similar, but it's not. Like, it's not about you. This, this is about me. Um, and you're not sure if you want it or not. And uh, you just kind of grow a little bit distant, just a little bit, bit by bit. Some of you know this in, in other relationships as well. Or, or like with a work colleague who's annoying, you just get a bit more distant and distant and distant. And it just slowly and gradually just goes a bit cold. Do you know that? And you're hoping they notice and go... Are we over? <laughs> uh, my, my challenge is I think some of us are, are drifting like that when it comes to faith. But for Paul, it was wholehearted. And I think what the world needs is people who are wholeheartedly in love with Jesus. Wholeheartedly in love with Jesus. There's nothing more attractive than that. And a bit like Simon was saying, a, a love that is there, there when it's good and when it's rough. Because I think our, our world is used to relationships that come and go. Uh, secondly, really quickly, um, how does Paul feel about the idols that he sees around? Have a little chat. I know you might go, well, it's broken hearted, Paddy. The second question is why? Why does he feel that? Why does he feel that? So how does Paul feel about the idols? Why does he feel that? We're flying through today. Have a little chat.
Okay. And I'm not giving much time. How does he feel? How does he feel? How does he feel? Greatly distressed. Why? Why is, there's a number of options here. Why does he feel greatly distressed? What are the choices? Say it louder. Because of the idols, but why? Why does that distress him? Okay, so, so is it distress that it's a sense of these, these people are following gods that, that are not real, that are not powerful, that can't help them, that's helpful. Why else might it be it? Okay. Okay, so interesting is the sense of that they're missing out on something and that they, they, there's this thing they don't even know that he wants to tell them yet. Why else yet? So that there's, there's a group of believers there that, that are not speaking into that as a helpful thing yet. yet. They're seeking something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all, all these things, yeah, go on, Matt. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so there's a sense of religion and, and faith. Uh, he's also a first century Jew. Uh, they took idol- idolatry very seriously. <laughs> it was like one of the commandments. Um, but I think his heart is broken. Um, for a Jew, they knew that idols were dangerous because their whole story was that every time they took their eye off gods and wandered after other gods, it led to disaster. That is their story over and over again. And I wonder whether he's greatly distressed because he looks at them and goes, you guys are heading for disaster. Idols haven't gone away. We don't have them maybe in the same way as statues and stuff, but they're in the homes we live in, the cars we drive, the jobs we seek, the way we treat our kids, the way we view ourselves, the food we eat, the exercise we do, the time we spend. It's still there. And they're still dangerous. And I grew up being told, oh, yeah, everyone has a God-shaped hole. I don't think that anymore because we fill it. And there's loads of stuff we can fill it with. But I want to challenge you today that idols are still dangerous, that living for anything other than God first leads to disaster. Those things overtake and tire you and break you. And I saw this quote in the week that said, the only people in 20 years that remember that you stayed late are your kids. I was like, oh, gosh. (laughs) Oh, you know, I'm hoping that if I knock them around the head enough, they might forget. Um, that's a joke. It's not a good joke. Something I was trying to lighten there. But, but I want to I challenge us. Like, God knows how we were meant to be, like what life's for. And some of you are sensing that now. You're in a life of your own creation, and you know it's just a bit creaky, and it's not quite doing the life that you hoped. And I want to call you again to a God who says, come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Like, idols are still dangerous. And I want to challenge us. We need to be brokenhearted and not just angry. I see so many Christians angry at culture rather than brokenhearted, rather than loving people and saying, you're lost and you're heading for a disaster that we've experienced ourselves. We are no different. Does that make sense? Like, like I want to challenge us that if there's not a brokenheartedness about our world, and sometimes, if I'm honest, I think they have it better. I think to myself, I'd love two lions on a Sunday, Saturday. That would be glorious. Oh, they seem so free. They can do whatever they want, and yet there's not that there. And some of you know that, and you're sitting there going, I've tried. I've tried it in relationships, and I've tried it in work, and I've tried it in rest, and I've tried it, and I've tried it, and I've tried it. And idols are still dangerous. What we know about Paul is that he loves them. How do we know he's not just angry at them? Uh, Just really quickly, can you flick down a couple um, for me? 
Um, I know this is an ugly slide. I can't go through it in detail. What's really interesting here is that Paul doesn't quote scripture at them. Some Christians are angry that Paul's sermon doesn't have direct scripture quoted. None of it. It's full of Christianity. What does he quote? What does he quote at them? Themselves. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. For in him we live and move and have our being. He, at various points, and it's so much there, right? He, he begins with, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. He, he, he wins them by speaking their language. He is open-hearted in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He, he, time and time again, and you can do your own study if you like, he's deliberately picking at stuff that the Epicureans and Stoics sort of disagree a little bit about, and he's agreeing with them. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Does not need temples built by human hands. The Epicureans said, yeah, no, no temples, gardens. Stoics said, yeah, yeah, no temples, marketplace. He's, he's being a genius at speaking to them in, with their own words but saying something new and different as well. And I guess I want to encourage you guys that one way we share faith effectively is to be open-hearted to our neighbour and our cultures. Not just conforming to it, not just doing it, but being open-hearted to it. It's one of the things we've been talking about as a church. How are we open-hearted? In a way that's both challenging as Paul is. Does that make sense? I want want to challenge you to be... Lastly, here we go. um, Go back up. Um, Two more, two more. Lastly, though, Paul is lion-hearted. Um, right at the end of the passage, 29 and 31, just have a, look, a quick little check. How does he finish? How does he finish? Once he's started where they are, once he's spoken to them with love and affection, in a whole, how does he finish? Have a little chat. Uh, 29 and 31, this is the last point today. For those of you wondering when I'm finishing, I'm finishing now. Uh, 29 31, um, how does he finish? How does he finish? How does he finish? With a challenge, a call to repentance. Yeah, how else? With Jesus. Yeah. And, and this is not, I mean, I know it seems a bit false when we read it in a paragraph. Um, my challenge is, I believe in Jesus we have the greatest thing. I really believe that. It's taken me 41 years. How old am I? 42 years. 42 years to remember I honestly believe if you don't know Jesus as your friend and Lord, you are missing out. I, I honestly believe that, both in life, that Christianity isn't just about waiting until you die. It has some huge benefits through death, but it's about life now. You know, I, I'm sometimes more keen to share when I get a new Lego set than I am about the Jesus that has built my life in a way that's glorious. Look what I've got, look what I've got. I want to challenge us that at some point evangelism is about speaking about Jesus. I think Paul earned the right to do that by being wholehearted in the way he did life, by being brokenhearted by the things that he saw, by being open-hearted and loving to the people that he was speaking to. I think that came first, and that enabled him to be lion-hearted. Does that make sense? Um, some of you are sitting there going, oh, it just feels like I'm so far short, uh, and I'm paid to do this, and I fall short of it. But what I love is that our God is a God who was wholehearted in his love for us. It broke his heart that we were distant from him. And so he opens his heart out and comes down to the world as Jesus. 
and our lion wins on the cross. And I, I love that. And I, I want to encourage you when it comes to sharing faith, it might be that begin to say, God, help me to be wholehearted in my love for you today. That might be where we start. Help me to be wholehearted in my love for you. And, and I, I pray that for us as we do this together. I hope that makes sense. Um, it's a bit few thoughts. We're going to come and sing as we come towards a close in our service um, and pray. I'm going to just give you a bit of time to be quiet, to look at those things. If there are some of those, um, if you just, actually if you can keep those four things up just for a second. Um, if today you're someone who goes, yeah, do you know what? I'm, I'm hard-hearted, I'm, I'm half-hearted, I'm cold-hearted, whatever it is. I want to encourage you just in the quiet now to say, God, my whole heart, I long to give it to you. Uh, help me in that. That's not something we can muster up. Um, if you're someone who feels cold about the world around you, maybe you could say, God, break my heart for the world around. Help me to see people as you do. If you're someone who finds it very easy to find criticism with culture and, and you're just angry at the world, maybe you want to say, God, open my heart to see where you are this week. And then um, we'll think about the fact that he was lying hard to us. Just be still in quiet just for a moment and then we'll come to a close. So, Lord God, through your spirit, I pray that you would just speak to us now. For those of us who have been hard-hearted or half-hearted or cold-hearted towards you, rather than us mustering that, God, we need you just to remind us of all you've done and who you are. You're the God who's answered prayer, who heals, restores, forgives, renews, uh, picks up time and time again. Lord, warm our hearts to you. Help us to be wholehearted time again. I pray as well that we might have broken hearts, God. I pray your spirit might just help us now to see the world as you do, to see people as you do, that there will be a genuine um, sense of loss uh, for those around us, Father, who don't yet know you and don't walk in your ways. That we might live in a way that just calls people to say, what have you got? What is it? Talk to me about this. I pray we'd have open hearts, Lord God. Help us not to become a group who just hide away in temples. But to be like Paul, out and about. There's no difference between here and outside. And Lord God, thank you that you are lion-hearted, that you break every chain. You, you heal and restore all our diseases. Father God, just help us, we pray. And if there are things that we're just feeling now in our heart, maybe just say to God, yeah, God, help me there. Help me there.